Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. The world is always looking for more efficient ways to produce energy. Now, whether that be trying to find a way to make solar panels work in not a lot of light, to trying to find something to do with all that leftover coal power plant waste, such as coal ash, and whether or not we can use that to help tackle another environmental problem, the production of concrete. This week, we look at all the different ways to help make our energy production more efficient. It's currently very, very warm and uncharacteristically sunny in the United Kingdom. In fact, they've had almost six weeks of sunlight in summer which in the United Kingdom is a spectacular feat, if nothing else. But in a country like Australia, where we're blessed with large amounts of light, solar power seems like such an obvious choice. But in a place like the United Kingdom, or maybe northern Canada, like British Columbia, or even northern Europe, overcast skies are incredibly common. You don't often get such uninterrupted streaks of sunshine. Then, when it comes to winter... (laughs) Well, you're even more out of luck. So in countries like that, can they use solar panels efficiently and effectively? A lot of naysayers would tell you, well, solar panels really need a lot of sunlight to be really, really efficient and useful. And that's certainly true. But some researchers from the University of British Columbia have found not only a cheap, but also a sustainable way to build solar cells that convert light into energy But instead of relying on other methods, these are fed by bacteria. And what's most important about that is bacteria, that these bacteria can work even in dim light, just as efficiently as if it was bright sunshine. Now, if you're in a cloudy place with not very much sunlight, like maybe Seattle or Vancouver, or perhaps even rainy old England, you may be now paying attention. Now, this type of solar cells are called biogenic because they're made of living organisms. And this kind of approach is particularly interesting because they could become just as efficient as the synthetic cells that we conventionally use in solar panels today. This research, led by Vikramajita Yadav from UBC, who's a professor in chemical and biological engineering, have been trying to find a way to solve what is for them a very real fact of life. Now, In its heart, a solar cell is the fundamental part of a solar panel. These are the building blocks that you build an entire panel or a collection of panels out of, and they do the hard work of converting light into electrical current. Now, people have tried and experimented with biogenic solar cells before, but they've focused on using the light to help extract the natural dye in the bacteria that's used for photosynthesis. It's a good idea, it certainly works, but it's costly and complex, and it involves a lot of toxic solvents that can cause the dye to degrade. So it's not a particularly sustainable or efficient or costly way of making a solar panel, which if you're trying to be clean about looking after the planet, there's better ways to do it. So that left the UBC researchers with not many alternatives. They had to leave this dye, this photovoltaic, photosynthetic dye in the bacteria. So they had to come up with a way to get it out, to help unleash it to produce electricity. And that's where some specifically engineered E. coli bacteria stepped up to the plate. 
Now, this E. coli was engineered to produce large amounts of lycopene, a dye that is often in tomatoes, for example, that give them that red-orangey colour. And it's particularly effective at harvesting light for conversion to energy. So these researchers took this E. coli bacteria, coated them with a mineral that could act as a semiconductor, and then a smooth all this specially coated and designed E. coli bacteria onto a glass surface. Now this coated glass acts as an anode, so when this bacteria started to absorb the light and produce some energy, the current would pass straight through. And they generated a current density of around 0.686 milliamps per square centimetre. Now, other people previously working in the field had achieved about half of that, which is pretty incredible because that means that the type of solar panel they're making is incredibly efficient, especially compared to the rivals. Even more so when you consider it doesn't even require large amounts of strong direct light. It can work in dim light. So, to recap, these researchers, the Professor Yadav, have been developed a way to make bacteria that doesn't involve toxic chemical solvents, doesn't involve really costly expensive process to make pigmented dyes, it's about costing one tenth of what it would produce otherwise, and it requires indirect light to function. That makes these biogenic materials perfect for low light environments where solar panels would be useful, like maybe in mining sites, remote stations, or even in very cloudy locations like Northern Europe, or maybe even Vancouver or British Columbia. So this is some great research being done at the University of British Columbia. Now across the border from British Columbia in Washington State University, in, for those of you who don't know, the northwestern side of the United States, they've been trying to tackle another problem. Now, if you're not using solar power to generate electricity, and it's particularly cloudy and overcast, maybe you turn to firing up your coal plough plant. And that is obviously very inefficient and not great for the environment. And when it comes to environmental damage, there's probably only one other thing that's as damaging for the environment and its production as coal-based electricity, and that's concrete. Concrete itself and the production of concrete is incredibly not only energy-intensive, but involves the processing of a lot of materials. And when you look at global greenhouse gas emissions, the production of concrete with sand and gravel contributes between 5 and 8% of total greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. And that's because... Cement, the key ingredient in concrete, requires really high temperatures and a tremendous amount of energy to produce. Now, if you compare that and think about maybe producing that energy using coal power as well, concrete has a pretty nasty climate or global greenhouse gas footprint. So what could you do to make concrete more clean and make the energy production of that concrete, using coal, let's say, more efficient? And that's what these researchers from Washington State University have been investigating. Try to come up with a sustainable alternative to traditional concrete. And their secret ingredient in this process is a byproduct of what was making normal concrete production already so damaging to the environment. That's 
coal fly ash, which is a waste product of the coal-based electricity generation. This kills two birds, unfortunately, with one stone. Let's put it another way. It solves the problem in a multitude of ways and reduces the climate impact of two very damaging parts of our global order. Now, this work was led by Zhang Mingqi, an associate professor from Washington State University's Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, along with graduate student Guangzhou. And what they developed was a strong, durable concrete, just as good as regular concrete, that instead of using something else as a binder, it uses coal fly ash as the main binder, which eliminates the use of environmentally intensive cement. And this was all published in the August issue of the journal Fuel. Now, production of traditional concrete, as we mentioned before, you basically take a number of different things, such as sand, gravel, water, cement, and you mix it all together. But you first have to refine it to get to the right material mixture or inconsistencies. And that's why it's so energy intensive, because it requires a really high temperature and a tremendous amount of energy to get everything to be exactly right and baked to the amount that you want before you then produce the concrete. Now, fly ash, on the other hand, is the material that remains after coal dust is burnt. And when you think about a coal power plant, this has become basically an abundant and unwanted leftover byproduct of producing electricity using coal. And there's not much else you can do with it, because most of the time, more than 50% of coal energy production fly leftover waste product, fly ash, in the United States ends up in landfill. And that's not great because there it can easily leach into the nearby environment. Now, people have been thinking about perhaps using fly ash in concrete. They haven't been able to do so in a way that eliminates the need for intense and strong heating methods. And that's significant because that intense and strong heating is what you normally use to make the material so strong. So what's clever about this technique is, as at La Bajou, is that our production method does not require heating or the use of any cement. So now you have a much more energy efficient process that is using a waste byproduct. Now this work depends on nano-sized materials to engineer the concrete at a molecular level. And they're starting from the bottom up, looking for the capabilities of certain nanomaterials and then seeing how they can use those to help create a really powerful and efficient process for making concrete. So the team used graphene oxide which is a recently discovered nanomaterial to manipulate the reaction of the fly ash, this coal fly ash, with water to turn it into activated fly ash. Now, the activated form of this fly ash gives it a really strong cement-like property. The graphene oxide rearranges the atoms and molecules in the liquid solution of fly ash and acts together with chemical activators like sodium silicate and calcium oxide. This creates a really, really strong molecular chain involving calcium, aluminate, silicate, and hydrate molecules that are strongly bothered together to form a really good inorganic polymer network that's actually more durable than regular hydrated cement. Now, that's an incredible chemical and nanomaterial solution to turn a waste byproduct from coal power plants into a very, very efficient process for creating a new type of cement, polymer-based concrete. Now, the interesting part about this research as well is that they designed the fly ash concrete to be pervious, which means the water can pass through it 
to replenish groundwater and to mitigate flooding potential. And that's particularly interesting because it means they can engineer into this new material some interesting behavior. Now, you don't obviously want all concrete that you produce to be water permeable, but in some situations, you actually want to help release water so that it doesn't boil, pool, and build up in your structure, thus degrading it. Now, they've tested this new concrete in a variety of strength and load behaviors, and they've actually even made a few examples of this on the WSU campus under a variety of outside loading and temperature conditions. Now, whilst they're still gathering data on how much the infiltration and the leaching out into the into the environment happens, they're looking to patent this technology and expand it out to roll out to the world. And this is particularly important because as we mentioned before, if 8% of global carbon dioxide emissions are coming from the production of concrete, if we can make a more efficient piece of concrete and we can recover waste from coal power plants that would otherwise go to landfill, we're really doing a lot to clean up the environment. So this is some great work out of Washington State University. State University aren't the only ones to be investigating the power of fly ash to help improve the quality of cement. Researchers from Rice University, including material scientist Rusbed Shashvari, along with graduate student Sung Hung Huang, have been trying to find ways to basically test the effectiveness of this coal fly ash as a binder and to see if they can cut out the high temperature processing requirement that otherwise plagues Portland cement. Now, from their research, they've shown that using fly ash as a binder, you can still get the same compressive strength as regular cement after the typical seven days of curing. But importantly, you can use a small fraction of the typical sodium-based activation chemicals normally used to harden typical Portland cement. Now, the results of this were published in the Journal of American Ceramic Society. And as in their study, they note that more than 20 billion tonnes of concrete are produced around the world each year. And as we said, they contribute anywhere between 5 to 10% of carbon dioxide global emissions. Trying to make that better, even if you improve the efficiency of it slightly, will have a huge impact on our environment. Now, often, the industry typically mixes around 5 to 20% of fly ash into cement. And they call this then concrete mixture green concrete. But there's still a significant part of that mix that's still cement, which is not great because that normal typical cement has all the bad qualities associated with it. So instead of relying on complicated chemical mixtures to try and activate this fly ash to make it useful like normal cement, these researchers use a different technique, a statistical analysis approach to try to identify what required process temperatures and phases and states of the material were needed in order to get this best quality material properties out of the cement. Doing this, they actually found a really nice balance of calcium-rich fly ash, nanosilica, calcium oxide, 
and a small amount, almost less than 5% of this sodium-based activator. And that's pretty great because that means you cut down on this complicated and also expensive sodium-based activator to mix into this concrete. Now, one of the problems with using coal fly ash is that it depends on the type of coal you're burning. If you're burning bituminous coal in your power plant, it typically has a low calcium content. And that's great because the other previously mentioned techniques of making green concrete would work. But these researchers from Rice University were trying to find a way to work with high calcium content coal. And the problem is that's actually a lot more prevalent because it's the lower grade, cheapest, dirtiest form of coal, such as lignite or subbituminous coals. And when you burn that type of coal, that cheap, nasty, dirty coal, in, you end up with a really high calcium or type C fly ash. And this can be very, very difficult to activate using all the other techniques that we've talked about before. So to compensate for this, the researchers have developed this high calcium method, which only requires a small amount of the sodium-based activator. This is important because it means that we now have multiple tools in our toolbox to help tackle the problem of inefficient production of concrete and all this waste left over from coal power plants. And this could be great because we could turn other industrial waste, such as blast furnace slag and leftover rice holes, into environmentally friendly cementitious materials and get rid of the needing requirement for high-energy cement in our concrete. This is some great work being done out of Rice University that just goes to the show the lengths researchers are going to to find new and green alternatives for concrete, as well as trying to make the most of what is a dirty waste byproduct from coal power plants. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From turning coal ash, the waste from the coal power plant, into new types of concrete, as well as ways to use bacteria to help make our solar panels work in not a lot of light. This week we found out ways to make energy more efficient. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.